a listener production. Okay, are you recording? G'day gang, welcome along to episode 123 of the Howie Games Part A. Thank you so much for listening. Featuring one of the greatest golfers of all time, Gary Player. Yes for Player. Yes for Gary Player. A 64. A course record. A birdie at 18. He is 11 under par. Now, we've been fortunate enough on this show to feature all sorts of phenomenal athletes, but it is not often you get to speak to a true sporting icon, and that's exactly what Gary Player is. The stats will tell you one story. 160 pro wins, which includes nine majors, the fourth equal most majors of all time, three each at the US Masters and Open Championship, nine majors on the seniors tour, seven, seven Australian Open titles. The list goes on. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by That's the stats, but that's really only a small part of Gary's legacy. Philanthropist, charity worker, a man that spread the word of golf internationally through his playing travels like few others, and an inspiration to millions worldwide due to his approach to health and fitness. Gary's 85, going on 33. He is bursting with energy, excitement, enthusiasm, laughter. His rude health, no doubt, a reflection of his lifestyle choices. Gary was going to the gym straight after this episode was recorded. He was telling me about it. To get stuck into his hundreds of push-ups and sit-ups, his strength exercises and treadmill running. 85. What a legend. So many lost and left behind. And no one seemed to care. Those who should seems like they're blind. Pretending they're not there. Can't they see? They hold the key. Could make things better if they try. Oh my Jaja, tell me why. Won't they open up their eyes? Gary has just released his own fantastic podcast called The Player Series. The Player Series, featuring chats with golf personalities. I just listened to the Nick Faldo episode. It is a beauty. The Player Series. Give it a go. This episode will give you plenty of laughs and good vibes. Gary is quite the character, to say the least. Enjoy the story of the man known as the Black Knight due to his penchant for wearing black, Mr. Gary Player. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion it is a great pleasure to welcome to the Howie Games a legend of golf, a man that has won over 160 tournaments, nine majors, and has done so much more in life. Welcome to the show, Mr. Gary Player. Gary, good morning from me, good evening for you in Florida. How are you going? Thank you. Where are you at the moment, Howie? I'm in a little place called Barwon Heads, which is an hour and a half out of the sand belt of Melbourne, which would be the best way to describe it to you. Well, I know that very well because I've been to Australia at least 30 times and played every sandbelt golf course and won Australian Opens on there. And I miss Australia terribly. You know, I've still got the lowest score ever shot in the Australian Open. Can you imagine it was done in 65 
with that old lousy equipment and a golf ball. It's an international field with £3,000 in prize money, and the finish is to be as thrilling as any in Australian golf history. Gary Player is playing superb golf. I shot two 62s in the same... Did you know that? I shot two 62s in the same tournament, the Australian Open, and Nicholas was playing there, and I'll never forget, I shot 62, and we were rooming next door to each other in the hotel downtown, and we're going back. He says, you know, I shot 66 today, and I'm four behind. He says, but tomorrow I'll get you a little South African butt. And the next day I shot 70, so that's a total of 66s for two rounds. He shot 63 and I was three behind because he had 129. <laughs> so I said, well, can you imagine I've shot two 66s and I'm three behind you. I'll get your big American butt tomorrow. And after nine, after 10 holes, I was 10 under. I hold every putt, was like a magnet, it was a, a, a miracle. <laughs> and so Jack, we didn't have electrical scoreboards like now. And, uh, he sent his caddy running up to see. He said, Mr. Nicholas wants to know how you're doing today. I said, I'm 10 under. He says, no, 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 for the tournament, not for, for, the, for today, not the tournament. I said, I'm 10 under. So Jack came round the hill, another whole lady said, you're lying, you're trying to put me off. And I shot another 62 and I went on to win. But there was always a bad point and a good point. And a little old lady came up to me in the airport. I had white pants on and a yellow jacket and a red shirt. She says, excuse me, sir, you the bus driver. Can you tell me where I get the tickets to go downtown? I said, ma'am, I'm not the bus driver. I've just won this great Australian Open, one of my favorite tournaments in the world. I said, here's my medal. You can have it. We offered $5,000 to find that medal. She probably sold it. <laughs> well, wisely. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. I was aware that you've won the Australian Open seven times and hold a very, very dear place in all Australian sports fans' hearts. We normally have about an hour and 15 minutes for this show, but you have other commitments. So I unfortunately will have to cut some of my questions brief, but it is wonderful to see you. I'd love to explore those Australian Opens with you. But let's start with the Masters, which when we're recording this was just a few days ago. And once again, you were the uh, honorary starter alongside a couple of your very close friends. Good morning. On behalf of the membership of Augusta National Golf Club, welcome to the 2021 Masters Tournament. What does that golf course mean to you, Gary? Golf course means an awful lot to me, you know, to have played it the most number of times, to have met Bobby Jones, that great gentleman and the great orator, which I think is one of the essential ingredients in an athlete. They don't pay much or sufficient attention to speaking well. And every time I went through the Magnolia Lane, the drive there, I'd get out and walk and just say a little prayer of thanks Uh to have been so successful there and to enjoy the moment and the ambience of the club is basically unequaled. Of course, they have unlimited amounts of money. They build a practice tee that costs three hundred, cost a million dollars, a million. Excuse me. <laughs> they build the practice tee cost a hundred million dollars. Really? It was a town. They knocked out all the houses and bought them and they bought other properties for them and uh, built the practice team. The, the chairman says, if you can find a weed in it, tell me and I'll fire the greenkeeper. And you can- <laughs> so, you know, and then you've got a press center there that costs between 60 and 70 million. And then you've got a place across the road, Berkman's, 
where you could be a member for plus minus $8,000 just for the week, then they don't use it the rest of the year. So you're seeing things there that you don't see uh, in other places of the world. Uh, it's But be on that first tee. Was, uh, actually, this was the most historical Masters I ever played in. Uh, first of all, to have a Japanese man win the tournament. I've been to Japan Oh, 30, 40 times, I don't know. And they golf crazy. Matsuyama is Japan's first Masters champion. Had this not been this crazy COVID uh, lockdown, you would have mm. had 60 pressmen on the plane that night to be with uh, Hideki. However, I said to him, I'm so pleased you've won Hideki because you'll be the new president and I won't need a visa to visit you. But uh, <laughs> but uh, to have a Japanese fellow win is so nice. It's so good for Asian golf. In fact, world golf. And, you know, I'm a great believer in unifying people. You know, I lived without freedom and I understand what freedom means probably more than most people because I've traveled more miles than any human being ever. So golf is a, great, a, a game of unification. And uh, it's so great to see that. I was the first international player to win here. And since then, they've all followed suit. And uh, it's been so wonderful to see. And then on the first tee with Lee Elder, who went through great difficulties in his life, he encountered a lot of tough times. We are delighted today to have with us a number of black golf professionals who are proud members of the PGA of America. They undoubtedly were inspired by Lee Elder and his message that the game of golf belongs to everyone. Today, Lee Elder will inspire us and make history once more. And I asked him in 1969, in the midst of apartheid, I wanted to put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid, and I asked him if he'd come to South Africa. The black uh, folk over here were very against it. I was called a traitor in Cape Town Airport because I invited a black man to play in our PGA. It went off extremely well. He got standing ovations. You see, the government make rules. The people are not like most governments, whichever country you talk about. The people don't believe in some of the things that governments make. Unfortunately, the governments make the decision. But be that as it may, and Lee Elder came down, and what upset me, he did so much good for mankind and you've seen presidents give away all kinds of honors for athletic prowess. And what Lee Elder did was far more important than athletic prowess, and, but was not given the award. So this is justifiably so a great award to sit on that first tee where champions have sat and where black man never tread before. Uh, very, very sentimental. And uh, I was very happy to outdrive Jack Dickness by 50 yards. <laughs> I saw your swing off the tee. You absolutely nailed it. Joining Lee on the first tee, the winner of three Masters tournaments, including 60 years ago this week, when he became the Masters' first international champion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome golf's preeminent global ambassador, Mr. Gary Player. I'll tell you one thing, mate. 
I'm still like a 50-year-old. I've beaten my age 3,000 times in a row. I work out, I eat properly. I'm like a 50-year-old. I said, Jack, don't be upset. You out drove me for 30 years. I said, when my ball goes past yours, it's going to suck yours on another 20 yards, make you feel good. <laughs> I, we, we will get to health and fitness soon. As I say, I'm, I'm a bit pressed for time. Tell me about the 1961 Masters and becoming the first non-American to win it. I think there's been 20-plus winners since then. So in many ways, Gary, you were a pioneer of international golf and you took it to the world as you mentioned I think you've been described as the most traveled athlete in history what was it like to put that green jacket on for the first time it was historic if I may correct you I'm the most traveled human being ever in the history of the world I've done that for for 70 years and not traveling from Melbourne to Sydney I'm traveling from Melbourne to Johannesburg and to America but be that as it may and what a great privilege and how grateful I am Everything that I have, I'm so thankful and appreciate everything. The Masters is on the line at Augusta, Georgia, and the 25-year-old South African Gary Player is the exciting sensation. Being the first international player to win there, you can imagine, I wanted to try and be the first modern-day player at that time to win the Grand Slam, which I did. And I had to get my second leg in. And I'm leading Arnold Palmer by four shots. After 54 holes, he has a four-stroke lead going into the final 18. In second place is talented defender Arnold Palmer. Now, you've got to understand what it was like playing with Arnold Palmer. The people went berserk. And I prepared myself. Honestly, Howie, I prepared myself mentally. If I had to tell you what I did, you won't believe the things I do. The meditation, the gymnasium, the eating properly, the sleeping properly, the laughing, all things that led to good play, relaxing, eating correctly, which very few people in the world do. Gary Player, blazing a remarkable trail in the last three months, sees his advantage in the Masters whittled down by the time he reaches the final hole. So I did so many of these things and I prepared myself mentally and uh, to beat him. And I knew what it was going to be like with that noise on the golf course. And uh, so when I won, it was just such a thrill. Gary Player becomes the first foreign entrant to win the Masters. Back to Gary in a tick. Next up on the show, a great of Australian cricket, Greg Chappell. With a lifetime spent in the game he loves, Greg has a fascinating story to tell, and he credits part of his batting success to a conversation he had with... Wait for it. Sir Donald Bradman. I just happened to be near this entrance exit, which was just door width. You know, that was it. And in that corner, there there must have been some bats for autographing or something, and I, I must have picked up one of these bats, and I was shadow batting with it when Sir Donald was leaving the room. And he literally had to walk right past me. And he was on the way out, and he wasn't going to be saying anything and for some reason or other and I don't know why um, I was moved to say good morning Sir Donald and he sort of stopped I, he didn't have too many people but he speak to him like that uh, un, uninvited I don't think wow. because he sort of he looked a bit shocked he stopped and he looked at me and he said uh, good morning Greg at least he knew my name um, <laughs> And uh, he he turned to go out and he stopped and he turned back and he said, by the way, he said, I'd change that grip if I were you. (laughs) And, I mean, that's, you know, that's a big statement. Yes. You know, I don't know why 
I mean, it should have knocked me over. But I had to come back. I said to him, well, what would you recommend? And he said, well, he said the grip that I use worked pretty well. <laughs> He's got the runs on the board, isn't he? <laughs> Literally. And I said, well, what was your grip? And he said, well, you can read about it in my book, you know, The Art of Cricket. And I had a copy at home, but I said to him, well, I haven't got a copy here and I've literally shoved the hand of the bat into his stomach and he's show me. And so he showed me, you know, the V of the two hands down the the back of the bit, back of the bat, down the sort of uh, splice of the bat, very neutral grip. And he said, look, this will feel uncomfortable because you haven't used it before, he said, but it will open up the offside to you. You know, you're not very strong on the offside. This will... You won't lose anything on the leg side, but it'll just give you more strength on, on the offside. So, you know, I'd suggest that you persevere with it, even if it doesn't feel right. And he turned to go and he stopped and he turned back and he said, by the way, he said, I've given this advice to one other person. He didn't take it and he's no longer in the team. And with that, he turned on his heels and he was out the door before I could say anything else. That's Greg Chappell next up on the show. Let's rejoin Gary. So where did it all start for you? Where did you fall in love with this game that's dominated 75 years of your life? My father, who worked in a gold mine and never made more than £100 a month in his life, uh, started me, and of which I'm eternally grateful for. And then uh, my next-door neighbour in Johannesburg, I was living in a very poor neighbourhood, and he was a golfer and... uh, a professional golfer and his wife and two children visited him, one of which was my wife. And my brother said, come and look at this girl. There was a wall between me and the neighbour. I climbed up on the wall and I saw my wife there. I said, you know, to my brother, I'm going to marry her. He said, what are you talking about? You've just met her. You've just met her, mate. Are you mad? So I did marry her. We've been married for 71 years. But unfortunately, she has pancreatic cancer and is slowly dying, which is... a uh, so sad for me because you don't get wives like I've got that did everything to make you a world champion. And, and, and it's through Australia, it's through Oz that I got married because they had the Ampol tournament, 5,000 pounds first prize in 1956. Work out what that is today. The scoreboard tells the story of the first 18 holes with player in front, a position he held until the end of the tourney. Player finished like a champion. He could have taken five strokes over this final putt and still won. But he puts it away from 15 feet for an eagle three, and the tournament is his. The crowd hails a tremendous performance by a 21 years old who only four years ago was on a handicap of 24. And that's the Olympic year. Yeah, that was the Olympic year, and I watched the Olympics in Melbourne, and I said, Viv, if I win the tournament, we'll get married. Man, alive, and I won the tournament, and the Australians, they loved me, and I loved them. They called me Gaza. And I I, actually, I get goosebumps sitting here now, uh, missing Australia. I mean, I just adored Australia. And uh, got married, and what a wife. I mean, you can never begin to describe, even as sick as she is, and she's almost bedridden. Um, The other morning, I'm going up to Augusta, early in the morning, there she is packing my clothes for me. I said, Viv, get away from this, get back in bed. She packed my clothes every single day. Said, get outside, go and practice. Don't worry about me. You go overseas. I'll look after the children. I'll fly over to America with six children, no jets, 40 hours, stopping in Africa 
four places. No, you don't get wives like that. That's a lottery ticket that I won. Well, I'm sorry to hear that she's not well, um, but it sounds like she's a truly wonderful woman. So you met her over the backyard. When, when did you first play a game of golf? Like when was your first actual outing? The next week. I didn't waste time, mate. I wanted to get I wanted to get hold of this chick, you know. Right. <laughs> so where, where was your first game? Like were you, were you naturally talented or did you work at it? Like where did you first play? Well, you, you, first of all, when you have a good girl like that, you don't get mulligans. You take it while you can. But uh, (laughs) uh, then at school, I was a four-letter man. I got colours for rugby, cricket, athletics and springboard diving and half colours for boxing. So ball sense was an automatic thing for me. It was a blessing. And, and, And Howie, with this success that I've had, I always wanted to be an international player, not just within America or Britain. I wanted to have a world record. And I think my world record is the best in golf when you think about it. I won everywhere. And uh, it's such a blessing and such a challenge to fly and time change and getting off. And I come back to the Australian Open again. We were playing Arnold Jack and I in France at St. Nombre Bretèche, and we were going to leave on the Monday morning or the Sunday night to go to Royal Melbourne to play in the Australian Open. We were fogged out and the travel agent came and said, I'll never get you in time. I can get you to Royal Melbourne three and a half hours before you play. In those days, there weren't delays like now. And I said, I'm coming. And they said, no, 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 I'm not going. I've never seen the course. I said, neither have I. I went. 16-hour time change, if I'm not mistaken. Arrived there. <laughs> Had a shower and a sandwich, new clubs, new balls, and won the Australian Open and never see the course by seven shots. (laughs) So I'm fascinated by travel, and I'm lucky enough to have seen a bit of the world. And I was looking, Gary, at some of the toys. Can I call you Gazza? Now that you've said that's what the Aussies call you. Absolutely, mate. So, so Gazza, I looked at some of the tournaments, and this is a long time ago, so you may not remember this, but I would love to know what this was like. It says that you were the winner of the 1955 Egyptian match play. Now, I would love to know what golf was and the setup was in 1955 in Egypt. Where was that? It was at, at the Gazira Sporting Club, one of the most fabulous setups you've ever seen anywhere in the world today. They had really? all the badminton, they had the tennis, they had this, they flooded the golf course from the Nile every night, so it was in perfect shape. And they had so many good golfers. I remember the names Hassan Hassanine and, and, all, and all these fellas that could really play. And I met Harold Henning of South Africa in the final. And I won 300 pounds. I thought I was rich. <laughs> Strike me pink, man. I want to tell you something. Please do. I'm, I'm making, I never made more than 30 pounds a month in my life. Now I win 300 in one week. Wow, my <laughs> goodness me. I, I was loaded. And it took three months to get paid, however. It's like the old story, the checks in the mail, you know. (laughs) You must have had some wonderful, weird, wacky flights and travel journeys in your time. I know I should be talking to golf with you, but I'm fascinated by the world. You're travelling the world by jet aircraft in the 60s and 70s. Um, It must have been a wild time, Gary. There was. We had times when the planes, uh, you weren't so sure it was going to land. And, uh, (laughs) you know, you you were on your knees and a man is never so tall as when he's on his knees. (laughs) 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 But 
today what fascinates me, you go to the tournament and you stand there on the practice tee and you see all these guys coming in with their G5s and the Falcons. And then you see the, you see the small planes coming in after them. It's the caddies. So <laughs> it's a slight difference. I mean, you know, the 30th prize, Excuse me, the 10th prize in the Masters this year yeah. was $300,000. Nobody on our wow. tour made $300,000 for the, the whole year. Arnold Palmer was the first man to win $100,000 as leading money winner. So it's so fascinating to see the prize money, you know, two and three million dollars first prize. I mean, I, I still find it hard to comprehend. I'm very happy because we played a, we played a certain role for them to get that as Hogan and Sneed uh, played mm. prior to us. But, and then I was leading money winner in 1961. I played 29 tournaments, stroke average, stroke average 69 and won $64,000. And here's a guy <laughs> finishing 10th in the Masters and 300,000. So, but as a, I want to be repetitive and say we did not play for the money. We wanted to be the best. And even today at 85, I'm still trying to think of, there's nothing new, but I'm trying to exercise harder, not eat three meals a day, two meals a day. I'm trying to, I'm a great sleeper. I love to laugh. Uh, you and I have had a lot of laughs on this show already. Yes. <laughs> and I've got, I'm very happy uh, so, you know, and I've got a lot of unmeasured love in my heart, which is absolutely important. Oh, I love the attitude, Gary. Absolutely love it. Oh, you obviously still play golf regularly. Golfers often talk about breaking their age. For non-golfers, that means having less shots than they are actually in years of age. How many times have you done that? I've broken my age 3,000 times in a row. And my great dream now, what I'm working on, is to be the first person to beat his age by 18 shots. What a hole. And I've done 16 shots twice. So if I look, look, by the time I'm 95, it'll be a cinch. But then the trouble is, but the trouble is I won't remember. I don't know if you heard about the new tournament they're having now on the tour. It's for 80s and over. I haven't. Yes, it's only going to be three holes and whoever remembers the score wins. <laughs> Yesterday I went to a golf club and my grandson always wants to challenge me after the round of golf in a bunker shot. Now he wants to put up cash every time. It's like milking, it's like milking a cow, mate. And I tell you what, <laughs> I said, my bank manager loves you. He's going to call you sir. Anyway, he gets up and he hits the first shot 10 inches from the hole. Ha, I've got you, he says. And really, he should have me. I get up and I knock it nine inches. Well, you should have seen his face. Now he gets up, he says, double or quits. He gets up, he knocks it eight inches. So the odds are me, a hundred to one, I'm not going to knock it closer. I knock it in the hole. In the, <laughs> and all the members were watching. <laughs> well, you talk about putting. Now, long-term listeners to this show, Gary, will know that I have two children, young children, and they always ask questions of the guest when they find out a little bit about their guest. Now, you're about to get a question, if that's okay, from my nine-year-old son. Yes. <clears throat> his name is Mac, but his nickname, for whatever reason, Gary, is the Big Penguin. So the Big Penguin has a question for you, but when he talks about putt-putt, which he does in this, he is talking about mini golf, or I think you call it crazy golf in America. Okay, are you ready? I hope you can hear it all the way there in Florida. This is the Big Penguin, Mr. Player. Hey, Mr. Player, Big Penguin here. I played mini golf today, and I was horrible. I hit it out of bounds. I hit it in the water traps. 
but I fluked a hole in one. So I was pretty happy with that. I heard you're an amazing putter. But I want to know how you're an amazing putter. Where did you practice? Who did you practice with? How long did you practice for? Well, Big Penguin, I wish I could meet you, mate, because I, I, <laughs> I love young people and I still sponsor the, the Big Junior Tournament up in Queensland, uh, Gary Player Classic. So I wish I could meet you one day if I ever am blessed to come back to your great country. And always remember, let me tell you before I answer those questions, just always lo love Australia with your heart and love your mom and dad. Always honour your mother and your father. Don't ever fight with them. Don't ever think you're more clever than them. One day when you leave home and you go on your own, then you can do it. But when you're at home, <laughs> behave properly. And the other thing is why I became such a good putter. Because I spent hours and hours and hours every day. And I looked at the, the big the thing is you've got to look at the dimple on the ball. And pick a dimple and you've got to take your putter back and see your putter hit the dimple and go one, two, and then look. Look at my head. Don't do this. So there's the dimple on the ball. You take the putter back, you see it hit the dimple, one, two, and then you look. Not easy to do. You've got to spend, there's no shortcut, Big Penguin. There's no shortcut to anything. You've got to work hard. That's what made Australia a great country. Your people worked hard and cherished your country. That is a great explanation. It leads me to another question I have for you, and thank you for answering the Big Penguin's question. You are given in many ways in history the quote, Gary, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Is that your quote? And do you know when you first said it? Because whenever you, it's a very famous quote and people attribute it to you all the time. I was in a bunker in Dallas, Texas, and I was hitting bunker shots and this cowboy came dressed with this beautiful cowboy suit on, which I like. I probably am a cowboy at heart. I'm, I'm a cowhand. <laughs> I, I love the farms and being out in the country with the cattle and the horses. And he had this beautiful Western hat on. He looked so sharp. And I stood there and I said, how are you, sir? And he said, fine, thank you. He was chewing red man tobacco. And I got up there and I knocked the bunker shot in the hole. He says, my goodness me, you think you can do that again? I said, no, the odds are against that. And I got up and knocked it in the hole again. He says, son, if you do that again, I'll give you 500 brand new dollars. I said, thank you, I'll try. I knocked it in the hole. He spat out the red man tobacco. I won't tell you what he said. He says, that's the luckiest damn shot I've ever seen and ever will see again in my life. I said, sir, the harder you practice, the luckier you get. It came out spontane spontaneously and it's lived with me ever since. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a fantastic quote and it's, it's lived forever. You, you hear it so often. What a great story. That's the end of Gary Player Part A. So much more to come in Part B. Listener.